0: Welcome to the Chasing Goodness Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Kinzara. Great to be with you today. And today we're going to tackle some things I don't think we've talked about much yet on this podcast with an incredible guest, Alexia Salvatierra. So I don't want to waste much time because she is spectacular. So enjoy this interview with Alexia Salvatierra. Alexia, welcome to the podcast. It's great to have you on today. Fascinated by where this conversation is going to go because your expertise lies in an area where I think many of us are really interested in. And so I'm super excited to get into the conversation. But before that, since you'll be new to most of the listeners of this podcast, do you mind just sharing a little bit about who you are? what you do, any of your background that you feel is relevant. Just feel free to share anything that seems pertinent to you. Sure, sure.
1: So I'm the academic dean of the Centro Latino at Fuller Theological Seminary. First woman in that position, Spanish language theological education program. I'm also a professor at Fuller. That my area at Fuller is integral mission and global transformation which is quite a mouthful, right? (laughs) Big, big, big. And I am a Lutheran pastor. I've been a pastor for 34 years, ordained, and then 10 years before that um, in leadership in the church, but not ordained. And over those years, I've been engaged in a variety of kinds of ministry and mission. I was a missionary in the Philippines, part of the pro-democracy movement against the dictator Ferdinand Marcos. That was a successful movement at the time. I was in the first Central American Sanctuary Movement back in the 80s as a young person, and very involved since then in all of the movements engaging the church effectively in the struggle for immigrant justice in this country and for a better immigration system and uh, in leadership of some uh, co-founding some of the most movements. And I um, have always been called, I mean, I've been a congregational pastor. I've been a farm worker, pastor, you know, I've, I've operated in a lot of different ways, but I've always been called to the intersection between the church and the world that, that how does, how is the church uniquely called to impact the world. And then, how, what does, what are the implications for who then the church needs to be internally in order to be able to do that? So, I've done, I've been a community development practitioner, community organizing, biblically based public, well, always, again, what is the unique way that the church operates? So, Christian community development, um, I've been involved with CCDA for many years. And Wrote a book on faith-rooted community organizing with Peter Heltzel. Just finished writing a book with Brandon Wrencher Reverend Brandon Renter, on the base Christian community movement in Latin America and the Philippines and the independent slave churches, the Hush Harbors, and what those movements have to do, how those movements can contribute to people engaged in church renewal and church planting in the 21st century. So always sort of working in that universe of... Um, integral mission, holistic mission, mission integral in Latin America. And I have a daughter who's a millennial, which actually makes a big difference (laughs) in my life because we're close and we talk. And so I actually um, have been in leadership for several years of a network called Matthew 25 or Mateo 25, which is immigrant churches, non-immigrant churches, working together with Puentes, who are bilingual, bicultural millennials. And the Puentes have become since then their own network. Um, and my daughter is part of that. In fact, um, my favorite title, I have it around my neck here in a little chain that they gave me, is Madrina, which is uh, means godmother in Spanish. They call me the bilingual, bicultural millennials and Generation Z people that I work with call me the godmother. Which I used to try to explain by saying, "Well, it's like the Godfather, but not quite so ominous." But it sort of is like the Godfather, <laughs> actually. <laughs> sort of. Oh, uh,
0: so. I don't even know what quite what to do with that last comment. But I appreciate- <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, we don't kill people. We don't kill people. Oh, good. Oh, good.
0: Fears. Good. Yeah, I'm, I'm,
1: Madrinas. Uh, yeah. The other madrina on the other coast. You know, somebody said the other way. It was like <laughs> other day. It was like Tupac and Biggie. But anyhow, <laughs> the madrina on the other coast is Elizabeth Conde so we're, okay. we're very connected. And I don't know if your audience has heard of either of us, but
0: yeah, I, I don't know, uh, but they have a lot of them probably have heard of Tupac and Biggie. So we'll start. Right, right.
1: <laughs> But like I said, we don't kill people, you oh, know, good,
0: good. No, do, no, I didn't. But,
1: <laughs> but we are definitely a little fierce when it comes it's- to, to issues of justice.
0: It's that's yeah. good. You you wake up in the morning and you look at your schedule and you don't think you're going to be talking about uh, you know um, deceased rappers, but then here we are, right? So. We yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I love your your background, and I love so much of you know so much of who you are and what you've done that is comprehensive, which allows this conversation to be really meaningful. Specifically, that you spent a lot of time pastoring and in pastoral and church leadership roles, because I think your role minus that how would you really understand kind of that, that inner workings of, of church? I appreciate that you have a millennial as a a, a daughter, as do I, and that helps a lot because then we get to hear that voice right mm-hmm. next to us. And we, and we care a great deal about it because it's our actual children, you know, yeah. and um, I did,
1: we actually, did some research too. I did a participatory action research project at Fuller with some other folk. I always work in team conjunto. And we actually interviewed a number of Latinx millennial Christian leaders. And Wonderful. it's really, really helpful in terms of taking what I knew on a personal level and then research. You know, you check it, you yeah. find out, you confirm what you some of what you know and you challenge some of what you know. So I have that too that I carry.
0: Yes. Yes. And that kind of, that professor role that you have as well would always check the facts. I'm sure now, one of the things, and we were talking about this just briefly before we we hit the record button, but there's this, this, I guess I'll call it a struggle in people's minds of this feeling. And we're hearing about it a lot. Everybody's saying the church is dying. Everybody's saying, you know, we're seeing numbers and attendance dwindling. And most of those conversations are happening in, within the context of the United States of America. But there's this other side to things, and I'm hearing it all the time through this podcast and just through other engagements that there's something else that is happening. So maybe some of what we're used to seeing feels or at least looks like it's dying, but there's also this this growth and this vibrancy that's happening at the same yeah. time. That's and right. I know that's a, a lot of what you're working with and in, in right now. So can you share? maybe a little bit of what you're seeing in regard to that. Is the church dying? What is this movement that we're seeing rising up or or anything else that you you have been noticing or experiencing?
1: it's sometimes so frustrating for me, Matt, that it's so relatively invisible, that the new life in the church is so relatively invisible to some church leaders in the United States. You know, the percentage of Christians in the world, it's about a third, has held steady, but the composition has changed. So, the average Christian in the world now is an African woman. Hmm. So, so what's interesting is how that then makes the new growth, a new vitality, something invisible to a number of people. So, I have friends in the emerging church movement, I have one friend in particular, um, who always talks to me about how the church is dying and it has to be saved. And I always say to him, you know, immigrant churches aren't dying, did you know that? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> mm-hmm. Immigrant churches aren't dying. There's a mission to the United States and and I know a number of young Latinx millennial Christian leaders who are just leading thriving young congregations that are taking some new shapes, but they're you know, they're full of life and vibrancy and energy. And, uh, and the interesting thing about the conversation is that every time we have the conversation, we've had it like three or four times, by the end, he says, wow, that we have to take that into our calculations. That's wonderful news. That's really interesting. And then the next time we have the same conversation.
0: <laughs> <laughs> we're
1: like, So we're not just invisible. We're like persistently invisible. Like, why is that? So, you know, I was part of a meeting yesterday that I'm still a little high from, which is that we're doing a summit um, fuller. At Central Latino at Fuller and AET, which is the organization that Elizabeth directs, which is the oldest Hispanic theological education network in the country, Um, biggest, oldest. So AET and Fuller and then the Louisville Institute together are doing a summit this summer of um, catalytic Christian leaders who are leading Latinx millennials and Generation Z, Um, catalytic and church renewal not just catalytic in general, catalytic church renewal leaders. And so we got together a steering committee of 17 people yesterday, (laughs) which is like a little bit big, but we just wanted to get, you know, representation from all over the country and from different kinds of contexts. And it was just so cool to be with them and to just have that reflected and their excitement at meeting each other, because we can, because we're sort of invisible to the larger world, we can even be invisible to each other. So, you know, their their prayer and their reflection and their excitement about what they want to do together um, or what they could do together. And that's, we'll do the summit by invitation. It's not a conference. It's a summit. We're going to do it this summer. But I really, part of one of the purposes of the summit is to document, Mm -hmm. to document the work that's going on and to showcase it so that people can be encouraged who are not in our context,
0: right? Can you give us a little bit of a a taste of maybe some of the things that you're hearing that, that are going on right now.
1: So one of the, the so what's interesting is that um, some of this has been documented. Like Daniel Rodriguez did a book called the F- a future for the Latino church in which he just went around at a particular point. It was about 10 years ago and documented a bunch of what was going on. And so he was looking at like, what are the characteristics of these churches? How do they operate? And one of the ways in which they operate is that there's just not any separation between body and soul right that that we our love works on every level, and this is also what we saw in the base Christian community movements that there's this sense of being the body of Christ, where people just take care of each other holistically, and then that spills out, and you take care of people in your community holistically. And then, you know, a num- most of these churches and very clearly in the base Christian community is that that then moves into what I call intelligent love, love that is that, engage- that is, um, practices good stewardship, mm-hmm. where you say, yeah. not only do I accompany people in the community, but I really say, what are all my gifts for making a difference in the community? So the phrase that was used in Latin America for the base Christian communities is that how does the church, the soul, and the yeast in the larger world? So, if we can bring justice, how do we bring justice, right? But how are we engaged on every level with, with our communities so that we are a testimony to the power and love of Christ? And so, all of the churches that are growing have this happening, right? That it's body as well as soul and, and integrated, that they're evangelical. Um, in proclamation and uh, that they're also doing the gospel and doing it in their life together and doing it in the world. And when I talk about being the body of Christ, I'm not just talking about connection and appreciation. I'm talking about 1 Corinthians 12, 24, and 25. Everybody reads 1 Corinthians 12 and looks at how every part of the body is important and essential, not just important, but in 24 and 25, it says, give more honor to the parts that have lacked it, so that there should be no dissension in the body, but so that all the parts will care equally for each other. So the centering of the marginalized was much older than that language, (laughs) Right. It's what happens that everybody's gifts are valued. And that the way that that happens is when you intentionally give more honor to those who've lacked it. And in all those communities that are thriving, that's how it works.
0: Yeah. And it's like, as you're saying that my mind is going to kind of my concept of what I grew up with with, within church. Now I grew up Catholic and then I was a part of kind of the white evangelical church for a number of years. Mm -hmm. And that, if (laughs) that is not the description of what I experienced, what I experienced is there were certain people who had certain gift sets that were, you know, whether intentionally or unintentionally were elevated uh, above the rest. And, and there was this kind of this creation of this thing that within the walls of that physical building seemed to be what was the most important, which then that lacked the connection to the community. But now what I think I'm sensing as this new generation of leaders and new generation of adults is even coming to be is that that, that doesn't even make sense to a lot of, lot of young people because that connection to community is such an integrated part of their lives. And so a faith community that doesn't have that connection like doesn't even make sense to, to their being, to their yeah. soul, as it doesn't to me either. And um, That's and very you,
1: biblical, right?
0: Absolutely. Yeah. It, it's the only thing that makes sense biblically. Yet, and I think that's why it's the fascinating part to me. Like, how did how did so much of the American, the white American church, get there? When in fact, it's that type of church is not biblical at all. The the church that we see biblically is directly connected and so integrated in culture and in justice and in you know even assistance to the community and things like yeah. that.
1: Ray Rivera uh, talks about he's written quite a bit on the captivity of the church See. that how is the, he wrote, wrote a lovely book around liberating the church from its captivity. and mm. the truth is that the the church becomes culturally captive easily unless the church is truly multicultural. and when a church is multicultural, then the different parts of the church call each other to a deeper faithfulness um but a church can be multi-ethnic without being multicultural.
0: So give the, us a, share what you mean, share what that right, difference the is, the leadership of
1: a church. And unfortunately, I, I don't mean to generalize, but often happens that when the leadership of the church is white and male, that the the church may have all different kinds of ethnicities in it, but okay. the norms of the church and the practices of the church come out of the perspective of the leadership. Well, that's, you know, and so if you just have people who are white at the top? It, you know, and male. It, it tends to their perspective because they're not because it's still in some ways the dominant culture. That that dominant culture is unconscious of itself. I mean, culture is often unconscious, right? Unless mm-hmm. unless there's equal power between cultures, so that people can challenge each other and wake each other up. When I when I've done uh, counseling for cross cultural couples. When somebody says, but everybody knows that. (laughs) Why don't you know that? Everybody knows that. That's culture, right? Culture tends to be unconscious. But when you come from a culture with less power, you are forced to be more aware of the other culture. Like my friends in the Philippines, when I was a missionary there, they were like, we know everything about the US because we have to, because what you decide affects us. Mm -hmm. You're know, you a 500 pound gorilla where you sit, we're going to feel it right? But you know nothing about us because we don't affect you. So a multi-ethnic church is a church where somebody, the people on top don't have to know anything about the rest of the people. They can know just very little. They can think they know and, you know, have a very superficial understanding and and be doing things in the ways that they know culturally and not be the body of Christ historically. You know, the early church was the most diverse community that had ever existed in the history of the known world at that time. And it was scandalous, right? But it was also drew people, especially drew people from the margins.
0: Historically, when we see really high functioning, like beautiful communities, there's always the voice of the elder is almost primary. The voice of the younger is listened to because it's this new generation coming up. But I sense in our culture in general, forgive my generalization, but in general, this American culture doesn't listen well to the voice of the young and often dismisses the voice of the elders of our community. And so it shouldn't be surprising again, look historically at how that's going to work. It shouldn't be surprising to us that we're struggling because you're right. Like we're not in many ways, we're ignoring the diversity that could just be between different ages, you know, in our community, we have, I have a little group of guys. It's literally three of us. One of us is, is in his early thirties. The other one is nearing 70. And then there's me, I'm 45. And I just the, the possibility of conversation that's there just because of our age differences is so beautiful and wonderful. And I think we all just value that. And so it could be as simple as that, you know, somebody listening could just do that or, or if you don't feel like you're very ethnically diverse in your circle there's people that you could reach out to i remember when you know uh it was it last year um when there was some real unrest going on around racism in our country which is still going on maybe most of my circle does look a lot like me but they don't all and so what can i be doing to engage in that conversation with the people that don't look like me
1: You know, people don't realize that a lot of the partisan divide in our country is also a racial divide. That
0: within the church,
1: within the church. So let me give you a statistic. Um, Roughly 80% of active white Republicans are active evangelical Christians, about 75% of active Democrats of color are active Christians. (laughs) <laughs> so that's a divide in the church that is an ethnic divide. Mm. And you know, just naming that is so powerful because it's like, okay, we're we're brothers and sisters. We better listen to each other. We see really differently.
0: So yeah. Yeah, I agree and, and it's it's fascinating to me that I mean exactly what you said like if we all claim to be believing in the same god following the same Jesus reading the same holy book it's it's so mind-blowing to me that we can't come together in spite of our differences or to talk through our differences or to re- just sit in a room and reverberate together and allow ourselves to feel what we're feeling. Mm-hmm. We're not going to get any answers if we just keep doing what we're doing and not crossing those lines. We're just going to keep going down the same path, right?
1: Yeah. I mean, I need to make one really important caveat, which, and it has to do with social contact theory, actually, that they used to think that you could just put people in a room together and that would create the kind of relationship that's mutually transformative. And that's actually not true.
0: Hmm.
1: That what you have to do is you have to do something together that makes you peers. So it's not just, I'm going to go meet somebody and have a conversation. Um, it's really that we're going to do engage in joint ministry together in a way that's going to create trust between us over time. And then in that trust, we're going to be able to be intimate with each other because the, the power differentials that exist have resulted in a lot of pain. Yeah, and so it's very—it's not simple to be the body of Christ. <laughs> it's just—it's uncomfortable. It is uncomfortable, but it also—you know—I always love the the challenge and the promise in that First Corinthians twelve twenty four, which is there will be no dissension in the body. It's like what?
0: <laughs> really?
1: If you try to come together across the lines and you try to, you know, give more honor to those who have lacked it. You can have a lot of dissension in the yeah. body, but, but, that's good. but the promise, I think, is that that's temporary. That there's some kinds of struggling that you have to do in the family. There's redemptive suffering. There's constructive conflict that will get you to the place where you really are a body, where you really operate as a body that doesn't have autoimmune diseases, but is coordinated and healthy, right? And I think it's hanging in there and doing the work together that you agree with, You know, it's singing together, it's ministering together, it's helping your community together, it's evangelizing together, that that's what begins to, um, you know, create the kind of relationship that transforms people. Like, then we trust each other and we say, oh, now I know why you see the world the way you see it. We're not just operating the level of ideas,
0: Yeah. I just got done reading a a fascinating little book on friendships of all things. And this guy was, it was a guy about my age trying to figure out friendships because a lot of 40 year old guys are trying to figure that out. Mm -hmm. And he was talking about how we can gather And we can even say, hey, we're going to gather every Wednesday, but he said, that's going to lose its effectiveness. And eventually people are going to stop coming unless we have a purpose for our gathering. That's beyond just hanging out and being buddies or whatever. Mm -hmm. And that was one of the things that he discovered. And so when you mentioned that, coming together as the body of Christ, if we don't have a purpose of coming together, if it's just for the sake of talking, that I, that makes sense to me. That makes a lot of sense to me. Share a little bit, um, as, we're, as we're starting to close up here, share a little bit about your book project. I know it's coming out this fall, so yeah, we'll have to- out in the
1: fall from Baker yeah. Academic. Um, it's called Buried Seeds, Learning from the Vibrant Resilience of Marginalized Christian Communities. And um, I studied, I've been studying for years, I actually experienced them, you know, full disclosure, I was part of that movement, um, the base Christian community movement in Latin America and the Philippines um, in the 70s and 80s. And then um, my friend and co-writer was talking about the Hush Harbors, the independent slave churches. And so we were looking at those movements, which are movements led by poor people and people of color, that were these vital incredible powerful movements of the church right small group movements of the church and so what do we learn from them um and then what is the? how is that relevant how does that become roots that nurture right Mm -hmm. and of course the the name buried seeds comes from a saying that actually came from a greek poet of all things we had to look it up but has gone throughout latin america and um in the philippines and it was They thought they buried us. They didn't realize we were seeds. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, the seeds that we can draw from, right, that we can. But in those, we were able to identify a number of characteristics. And, you know, those characteristics were characteristics like being a familia, being family. Like these churches, really, they became family. They took care of each other. You know, that they did share leadership, this understanding of participación or, you know, distributed leadership. That really lifted up everybody's gifts and looked for everyone's gifts. Um, You know, the concientizacion, which is the awareness of reality and all its dimensions and the dialogue about that, that the church doesn't look inward, it looks outward. So, you know, you have to look at your community and at your reality really honestly. What is happening? You know, Karl Barth said, we have to, we only understand the gospel with the Bible in one hand and the newspaper in the other. But, you know, in the modern world, it's not the newspaper. (laughs) So many different ways that we are in contact with what's going on around us if we pay attention. And then we have to talk to each other about that, you know, not just what's happening, but why is it happening. And then we have to see it in the context of the liberating word of God, that you don't understand what's happening in the world if you don't see it through the lens of Scripture. But through the lens of Scripture, not proof text. But the whole arc of salvation and the whole holistic arc of salvation, that we have a Jesus who transforms the whole person and the whole family and the whole community and the whole world. So how do we take that seriously, right? Um, And then the spirituality that's really Holy Spirit-centered. Sometimes I say I'm (laughs) Luther-Costal
0: because I
1: really did come out of a sort of Holy Spirit-oriented worship and spirituality, and, and they did. You know that they had those experiences of ecstasy and healing and everything that and tears and laughter, embodied experience of faith, right? And music that all goes along with that and arts, you know. And then and then how is it? Then what are the implications in the world? That how does that become faithful organizing for real change wherever real change is possible? That that becomes an issue of stewardship. And then there's the sacrificial dimension. People being really willing to sacrifice. You were talking about comfort. That mm-hmm. boy in those movements, people were willing to risk and sacrifice. So all of those are dimensions that we talk about in detail in the book. Now, these are the dimensions of these um, of these movements that became the the soul and yeast of the community, wow. and were led by the poorest of the poor.
0: Well, I'm excited. I'll be excited when that comes out for sure. And we'll make sure we let everybody know who's listening to this podcast when it is out, uh, so they can get their hands on a copy of it. Last question. As we close up here, it's, it would be very difficult to talk to you and not have a sense of hope and excitement for the future of the church. You just, you breathe it. Like even through the, the zoom meeting right here, I, I find myself smiling and and energized just by kind of being in your presence. So can you just let us know where you see hope and encouragement for the future of, let's call it the body of Christ?
1: Well, I've been sitting with um, just, I, for some reason, I've been thinking lately about the two Molinas. So there's father, the father is Rene Molina, and the son is Rene Molina Jr. And so the father, Rene Molina, is in, an immigrant and uh, came as an undocumented immigrant. <laughs> he says sometimes that he came like Abraham. <laughs> <laughs> so anyhow, but he he has a church of about between 2,000 and 3, active members in South Los Angeles, all of them immigrants, all of them poor. So um, and he's always had this sort of whole vision of the whole person and the whole family. But, you know, he really came from an immigrant place. And so he he felt like he just didn't really know what it meant to live that out in the community community. Um, in the United States. Like, you just felt like there's so many barriers and obstacles. And um, and then, you know, Rene Molina Jr. came up to a, the, the age where he was able to move into leadership, and he started an English-speaking congregation with a whole bunch of people with tattoos and ear things. <laughs> and at first, his father was just like, like, what do I do with these kids? They were like very suspicious of them. Like, what are these kids? Are they really Christian? You know, are they, right? And um, But they continued to hang in there together, the, the two congregations. And uh, now they have this just amazing partnership, the two of them. Uh, and where they, they talk together. And it's so cool when you talk to the two of them, because Renee Sr. talks in Spanish and Renee Jr. talks in English. But they understand both. They both understand both languages fully. They're fluent, but they just speak in their language of comfort. But they talk together. I was actually at a conference with them, and then we interviewed the two of them together. And at the conference, we were all sitting around the dinner table, and they were, uh, you know, they were both so excited about each other and about each other's ministry, and. You know, Renee Senior was saying, and he's he's built this partnership with Costco, and they bring all these furniture for people in the neighborhood every week. And you know, he has us. He's created a dialogue with the schools and with the police. And you know, we're, we're actually having dialogues where we the police are listening to the people in the community. You know, and because he could go talk to them and he could set that up. This new generation they have they have so much capacity, right? And he, that we could never do and then and then the son is like oh but the but my father they they have this fire in their faith they have this evangelical fire that comes through all that they suffered you know, and that God was good to them and stayed with them. And he said, we're just warmed by that fire and we're nourished by it and strengthened by it. And like, they're so excited about each other and what they're doing. And and Renee Sr. is like, well, I didn't trust them at first, but they love the Lord and the Holy Spirit is with them. They just look different and <laughs> they use different language. And some of their ideas I'm not sure of, but they love the Lord. And you know, and and uh Renee Jr. is like, yeah, well, they're stuck in some ways that we just don't they don't make any sense to right. <laughs> some of the ways they do church, but but we love them and we and so then um so there's this combo, and then so it this I was telling you about this the sharing, the steering committee that met. So Renee Jr. couldn't come, so he sent Renee Sr. And <laughs> Renee Sr. and all these people who are millennials are working with millennials, and so Renee, Sr., you know, he just speaks Spanish, right? But everybody there actually understands Spanish, so it's fine. Um, But at the end, when it was the time, and he said, look, I'm just representing my son, which is, you know, he couldn't be here today. He'll be at the next one. And then at at the end, he said, can I do the closing prayer? He said, I want to bless you. And he prayed for them all. And when we finished the prayer, some of them were crying. Mm. Okay, so that's the Lord. Right, that's the presence of Jesus. What does it say in John seventeen twenty one that the world will know that Jesus has come because of the unity of his disciples? Like there it is, right? We have de- we have real generational conflict in our society, and particularly in the church, real mutual suspicion, and you know, and I don't even know what political party they belong to or even if they belong to political parties but certainly some of renee molina's attitudes fit just fine in the republican party and some of renee juniors fit just fine in the democratic party (laughs) Um, and that doesn't matter right i mean it matters of course it matters but it it doesn't stop them from working together in amazing ways for the kingdom of god
0: As we bring this home today, so many great things to think about and so many things to ponder. And one thing that I'm thinking about right now is that if we're looking around ourselves in the United States or even those who listen in Europe, we might be looking around and think, well, the church seems to be dying. But maybe that's just because we're looking in the wrong places. Maybe actually the church is flourishing in other areas. And what can we learn from that in our own environment wherever we are? And then secondly and this is i think this is a theme that we've had on this podcast before is that if you find yourself i don't know surrounded by a lot of people that look a lot like you take some time and some effort to get around people who are not like you whether that is different ages different ethnicities whatever you can do not because it's just the right thing to do but because you're gonna grow and we all together are going to flourish because of it Special thanks to Alexia Salvatierra for being on the show. You can find her at her website, which is just alexiasalvatierra.com. I'll make sure that that is in the show notes so you can just click right on it. Of course, she's also on social media, so make sure you keep track of what she's up to. When that book comes out, I'll be sure to let everybody know about it. Of course, you can support this podcast by simply subscribing to it, give it a five-star rating, and write a review. You can find me on social media, on Facebook, and on Instagram, on Facebook, it's just Matt Kinzera. You can also find Chasing Goodness on Facebook. And on Instagram, it's just Matt Kinzera. Until next time, let's keep chasing goodness together.